Life, politics, parenting, and navigating the daily chaos. It's time for Politely Rude with Abby Johnson. Well, hello, hello, hello. This is Abby Johnson with Politely Rude, and I am so glad that you are here with us. Today, I am in Austin, Texas at my home office, and all the kids are here. And so if you hear them in the background, well, that's what's going on. So, um, man, I hope you guys are having a great week. It is hot as Hades here in Austin, Texas, and uh, I hope maybe it's not as hot from where you are listening, but I am think I, you know what? I'm thankful. I said, I, I would not seriously complain about the heat in Texas ever again, because I hate, hate, hate cold weather. So I'm not, I'm not, this is me not complaining about the heat because I will take this heat. I will take a hundred degree heat over burr, burr, cold snow any day of the week. So um, man, it has been, it, you know, it's been a good week. I'm coming off actually of a, uh, a retreat for our former abortion clinic workers this weekend. And we had 13 abortion, former abortion clinic workers there. And I got to tell you, just being there is such an amazing witness to the power of Jesus Christ. I mean, Man, he is so good. His faithfulness and just the power of redemption is, oh, wow, he is good. So I am, I am like, you know, it's like when you go to church camp and you come back and you're like, woo, I'm like on my, my church camp high. Like, that's how I feel after coming off of this weekend. I just... Ah, it's so good. Like just being, you know, these are just like my people, you know, other, other quitters, you know, other abortion worker quitters like me. That's just it. Those are my people. And so I'm just feeling so blessed to be with those other women all weekend. And I'm on my camp high guys. I'm on my, on my camp high. So, and I'm really, really excited about our guest today. You know, I try to bring you people, topics that are different and, I am just so inspired by our guest today, and I know that you will be too. All right, so I'm super excited for our guest today, and we've like we've never met, we've never talked before, um, but I, of course I know his story. Most of you probably know his story. You you probably know his name. Um, our guest today is Evan Todd, and he was a survivor of the Columbine shooting. He is, he was 15 at the time. How old are you now? How many years ago was that? 38. 38. Okay. Yeah. So I was a kid when, when, when that happened, but I remember, uh, you know, very, very clearly when that took place, I think I was like, yeah, I was like eight, 18, I think, when, when that happened. And uh, I remember, I mean, I, I think everybody remembers, every, you know, I think that the images I remember the most are like the kids coming out of the school, you know, kids coming out, like, you know, with their hands on their heads. And it, that was, you know, to me, I, I don't think that, I mean, I don't ever remember that happening before. Maybe that was the first time that, I, I don't know, like, that was the first time I ever remember that happening. And I had never in my life thought about going to school and somebody coming in with a gun. I mean, that, that had just never occurred to me. I was, you know, I was out of high school by then and I was in college, but that was just like something that had never, ever like occurred to me in my head. I mean, like we had weird kids in school, but like you just never thought about them like becoming violent. So anyway, I mean, thank you for coming on the show and, 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 you know, sharing your story and, and, um, you know, I know, I mean, you've been sharing about this for a long time. I, I can't imagine what that was like for you that day. I know, you know, you lost, you lost many friends. Um, you were also injured, yeah. uh, during that. And 
you know, did, did you did you know these two these two guys? I mean, did you you know, were you I mean, what what were they like in the school? I mean, we we talk about, you know, like what to watch for in kids, I guess, you know. Yeah. I mean, we talk about sort of loners and and this kind of but like did you know them? Did I mean, what what were sort of they like in the school? Yeah, so they were they were seniors. I know I was a sophomore. I had I had seen them before. I'd recognized their faces. I knew that they were fellow classmates, um, but I really didn't know them. Uh, I you know I noticed I knew what they, they they looked like. They dressed like. I knew the crowd that they hung out with, but I really didn't. And I never suspected anything would happen. You know, like they would do anything like that. Uh, the world later learned, you know, some of their writings and the things that they did beforehand. Um, but getting back to your, you know, the same point with, I never thought it was going to happen at Columbine. And I had just, I think three to six months prior to it happening at Columbine, I had read a story of an attempted, um, school shooting in Springfield, um, Washington or Oregon, where a kid came into school with a hunting rifle and started firing. And, uh, it was an Eagle scout who tackled him. And uh, no one lost their lives. There were people who were injured. And that was the first I had heard of a quote-unquote school shooting. And I just thought that was the most bizarre thing in the world. You know, I'd seen, seen fist fights, I'd seen you know, all kinds of things, but I never thought that would happen. And um, I later learned there had been a few before Columbine, but I think one of, the, one of the dynamics that really changed from Columbine and in culture was you know, we had the 24-hour news cycle that was really getting into gear with CNN and Fox News. And, you know, they were on scene almost as fast as law enforcement. Uh, in fact, when I left the school, I saw news reporters already on the corners of neighborhood streets. And and so I think that really changed it. And that's one of the reasons that drove the, the publicity of the event was it was on TV and people were watching it live. They, they saw the tragedy unfolding before them and it's like watching a train wreck. And I think that did something psychologically uh, to our culture. And I think it, in a way it, it helped perpetuate the problem. Um, even if it wasn't something that was intentional. Yeah, I would agree with you. I mean, it, it is sort of like watching a train wreck. I mean, we become, I think our society has become desensitized yeah. to to this sort of thing, you know. Whereas people people should be watching this like we shouldn't even be able to watch this kind of thing, right? Like it should make us so anxious, like mm -hmm. we should be so sensitive yeah. to to what's taking place in that moment. Like our, our minds and our hearts should be so sensitive. Like when we, I, I mean, I know, um, you know, there's been other shootings, there's been other, like even like hostage situations or, you know, and we watch it like, like addicts, right? Yeah. I mean, like we sit there in front of the TV, like watching it, like crack addicts or something, you know, like we're sitting there watching it when in reality, like our hearts should be so sensitive. Like we should be breaking, like our heart should be breaking for the yeah. fact that there are people, you know, in this building or, you know, whatever tragedy is taking place. Like we should be so sensitive to it that we shouldn't even be able to watch it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But it has fueled like media has, has fueled this for us. Mm -hmm. And it's like, we get like an endorphin rush yeah. off of watching other people's tragedy. Yeah. Well, and I think there's, I mean, I think there's a lot of psychological um, things happening. You know, the, the way the news is structured from the breaking reports, the sounds, the dings, the, just the gripping graphics, they're, they're made intentionally the way they are to get your attention and keep you locked in. And the way that the stories unfold, it is gripping. It is, it's in our human nature to be curious to see what's happening. Um, and, but I also think that it's, it's a larger issue within our culture as far as our movies, our video games. I know it's a controversial topic for many because there's so many people who love the video games, and that's fine. And I think, uh, you know, it's something else we can talk about. But 
I think a lot of these things in our entertainment and our culture desensitize us and it detaches us from real human life. So when you, when people see it, whether they recognize it or not, these horrible events unfolding on TV, I think they can detach themselves subconsciously in a way that it doesn't feel real. And that doesn't feel like those are actually, you know, moms and dads losing children or, you know, husbands and wives. And they don't, they don't look at it from, you know, the, the viewpoint that they should, that these are human lives that are being lost. And it's, and I think there is something that being thousands of miles away, looking through the TV makes it easy to do. And, you know, and the other, another topic on that point is parents, you know, they see this happen and yet the, the very next day they send their kids back to school without question. You know, I don't know how many parents I've, I've talked to, and I've said, you know, what what questions have you asked of your administration or your school boards? Have you asked what the security proto- procedures are, the protocols? What are they doing to protect your children every day? You know, you drop them off at school in the morning expecting that they're going to, you know, keep them safe and alive that day. But most parents won't even take the time to or thought to to ask those questions, you know, and they are difficult questions. And really, as a parent, I think. You have to decide what is the best way for you that you want your child protected and you need to advocate that to the school and not vice versa because the schools uh, are failing. I mean, in my regard, they, you know, they, this has happened many times throughout the country. We've seen it. And, you know, every time the professionals say, oh, we got it, we're going to keep your kids safe. We're going to do this and that. But very seldom do the parents say, no, we're going to we're going to look at this issue and we're going to make sure our kids are safe. We're going to make sure there's security or armed teachers or some of these proven ways that actually do keep schools safe. Now, did you feel like there were, I mean, Columbine was not a, I've driven by that, that school. I've been in that area. Like I've had events in that area. I mean, it's not in a, you know, a dangerous area. I mean, it's not like, you know, like inner city Chicago or something. I mean, like, it's, you know, um, did you feel like there were, I, I don't know, like, were there things that took place? I don't know if you talked about this before, but um, I'm sure you have, but were there things that, that led up in the week? Like, were there things that happened um, in the week leading up to it where you felt like, the school should have seen things coming. Were there like warning signs, anything like that where you thought, you know, the school sort of missed this, uh, where they didn't, they didn't see things that they should have. Yeah. Uh, you know, and this is, this is a tough subject that I've, I've researched and battled with in my own mind. And it's because Columbine was, really the first national event like this that made headlines, I actually give the school a little bit more of grace than um, sure. some of the other ones because, because of the, you know, they, it was unprecedented. And I think, I mean, there absolutely were warning signs. The, the two murders at Columbine had written, you know, literature, you know, pieces and poems and things in their, um, English classes about being a bullet and how they wanted to kill kids. And they were, you know, they were vocalizing the actions that they wanted. They, they had hit lists that were known to uh, teachers and administration. They had, they had, they were one of the earliest bloggers out there. They had websites with writings and drawings and um, just vile death and destruction. They talked about it uh, with their fellow classmates. You know, there's tons of reports and the people who remember speaking to them about how how much they loved looking at pictures of the Holocaust. I mean, there were countless uh, things and warning signs that people should have caught up on and really should have corrected them in their way and and, and parented them and taught them and, and showed them that these aren't, you know, uh, these are very destructive paths and they lead to destructive ends. And so there, there were a lot of signs, but, and at the same time, there are things that the school, I mean, these two had threatened people before they had, they were the biggest bullies of them all. They, you know, they had been punished. They had been arrested. They had, you know, broken laws. And so there were a lot of things that, that went, that went by without correction that should have. 
and it's the same thing every time. I mean, the pattern is very similar to the other school shooters or mass shooters that are out there. They have the same warning signs, and yet we keep writing it off. You know, back in the 90s, uh, one of the big catchphrases in society was, oh, they're just going through a phase. You know, it's just a phase. And, right. And, you know, and that was kind of what the attitude was towards them. You know, the parents were like, well, this is who they are. This is the music they're into. This is the things they read. Must be just a phase. They'll grow out of it. Well, you know, I, now looking back, hindsight's twenty twenty. Um, but it's one of those lessons that I'm taking as a parent. And I'm not going to allow phases like that to go without question, without correction, without direction. And so, and that's something that, I think parents are looking at now and more into the future. Yeah. You know, um, I, I think, I mean, I know that you're, you're a, a huge advocate for this and, and I am as well. It, you know, it wasn't even something that I even really started to think about. I, I mean, I guess, I guess, uh, I just, I mean, I live in Texas, so I, I don't know. I mean, ever I I don't know. It's sort of like everybody carries here, so you just sort of I don't know. You just don't really think about it. And I guess I'd sort of always just thought, well, if you're a teacher and you want to carry a gun and and you want to have a gun in your classroom, you could. Right. But then I realized, oh no, you can't. Right? Yeah. Like it, like they schools don't allow that. Yeah. And I remember when I heard that, I thought that's crazy, you yeah. know? And, and then all these school shootings started, you know, it, they started, there was like an uptick, right. Of, of school shootings. And I remember thinking, why aren't teachers armed? Yeah. I mean, that, that is just like a no brainer to me. And then, and then there was, you know, I don't even remember when it was like the sixties or something. And at the university of Texas, and there was the bell tower shooting. Right. Yeah. And it was a, it was a professor. It was a university professor that went and, and, you know, uh, he was the reason he was the he was the one that prevented, you know, dozens and you know possibly hundreds of people from being killed right. on the university because there was a, a teacher that was armed. And I just thought, you know, we've seen that time and time again. A good guy with a gun will stop a bad guy with a gun. And it it sort of became and then I couldn't believe it was even controversial. Right. Why would we prevent a trained teacher from having a concealed weapon in their classroom? I mean, here we are. And I, you know, and I, I, I looked, you know, how are we training teachers to protect children? Well, you know, we're having them, which these were all good things. You know, we're having them, you know, okay, pack into a corner, you know, where they can't, you know, the, the, you know, lock the door, pack into a particular corner so that the shooter can't see who's in the classroom and all this. But I'm thinking, you know, what's even better? Pack them into a corner and have the teacher standing there with a gun. <laughs> like, that's what I'm thinking is even better. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so uh, then I, I, I started watching some of your, your interviews about this and, and you speak very eloquently about this. And, and of course, I mean, you have, you have the experience that, that, that we don't, um, I, I can't even understand why this is controversial. I mean, it, it just seems like such common sense to me to protect teachers, to protect students, to prevent these tragedies from occurring. You know, I feel like one of the reasons that we don't have many of the mass shootings in Texas that many other states have is because so many people are armed in yeah. the state of Texas. You yeah. know, even my church, we go to church and you know that half of the guys in the church are carrying, yeah. right? So there's less likely that you're going to have somebody walk in and and pull out a gun yeah. because they know they're going to be stopped. I mean, it just makes sense to me. Yeah. I mean, what are the arguments against this? Like, what are people's, what are, what, what, I don't even understand the reasoning. Well, you know, what I've seen and what I've noticed in discussions with, you know, people with the opposite point of view, it really boils down to their fear of firearms and their lack of knowledge. You know, they, they think it's, there's going to be 
uh, some teacher who has a temper issue that's going to threaten a kid with a gun. You know, some of the, the arguments that have been put forward are, um, you know, just bizarre. And, you know, they also say, oh, you're going to have the 80 year old teacher who's teaching math pull out a 357, you know, you know, and shoot this powerful gun that she can't even handle. You know, and that, I, I mean, there's so many different arguments. Oh, you're just going to hand them guns at the door. So a lot of, a lot of the, the arguments against it are really intellectually dishonest because they're, they're asinine. They're, they're absolutely ridiculous. They don't even make sense. Yeah, they don't. And they're basically trying to play on people's uninformed emotions. And uh, when you boil it down, I mean, I just, for instance, I just spent the weekend shooting with 20 plus teachers with a, one of my favorite groups here located in Colorado called Faster Colorado. They train armed you know, teachers and staff members to carry concealed at school. You know, these teachers are some of the, the cream of the crop, some of the best people I've ever met in my life. They're, you know, number one, they volunteered to go into teaching because they cared about children and their education. Right. And and then second, they said when there was a threat, they volunteered and said, I'll, I'll carry a gun. I'll, I'll go through the training. And this isn't this, you know, Faster Colorado, they don't just teach um, firearm, the firearm side, they teach the medical side, they teach the the psychological side, they teach all kinds of tactics and no shoot. There's so many, they actually go through the same training that law enforcement goes through. So they're getting the, the best training out there and they're very, they're selected, they're psychologically, you know, they have to be evaluated. And and the way I look at it is if I don't feel safe with my, dropping my kid off with a person that I don't think is safe to have a gun, and then I'm not going to trust them with the gun, you know, with or without either way. Right. Um, right. But, you know, these teachers are, are incredible people doing what they do. Um, and in Colorado, you know, it's illegal to carry a firearm on school grounds. There's a, a law that Colorado passed that allows certain teachers to be selected to be able to go through this training to go through and to carry. So it's not just everyone who's doing it. And I think it's a step in the right direction. Personally, I think it's a travesty that teachers who carry concealed, who are obviously law-abiding citizens, they teach our children, they have, you know, they have these careers, they have their own families, they carry when they go to church, they carry when they go to shopping, they carry wherever they go, but they are disarmed by our government at the, at the school boundaries, and they shouldn't be. Um, you know, there's just so many aspects to it. And, and across the nation, there's over a thousand schools who have, for the last, I think it's almost close to 20 years, who have carried concealed weapons, have armed teachers in a thousand schools, and there have been zero shootings, zero incidents in those schools. There hasn't been anything, you know, school shooters are targeting schools that are unarmed and open for, you know, for killing. Well, of course they are. I mean, it's like shooting fish in a barrel. Yeah. <laughs> of course they are. Yeah. And that's where they, I mean, that's where they go every time. They go where they know people are unarmed. They know where they can cause the most damage. They they don't like confrontation. And in fact, uh, you know, that's, that's one thing that led me to this several years after Columbine was I, I immediately in the aftermath, I dealt with a lot of the I w- what I would call preventative side. You know, we need to build better people, better character, um, have better culture and all those things. But then when I really looked at this issue, it's two-sided. There's the preventative side, which we absolutely should do, but there's the treatment, just like cancer. You know, if you, you can do all these things to prevent cancer, but if you get it, the preventative stuff doesn't work anymore. It's time to treat it. You have to go in and kill cancer. And that's how I look at the school shooting issue is, you do the preventative, but the treatment of when there is when shots are fired and there's someone trying to murder children, there's only one treatment, and that is to force on force, physically with deadly force, go stop that school shooter. And the only way to do that is with armed security or armed teachers. And 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 that's what I don't get, like you were saying. I don't get how this is not controversial. This is not political. This is not a Republican Democrat issue. This is not a left-right issue. This is a this is our children, and we need to protect them. I, I've personally been to schools in most of the fifty states in America, and you know, from New Jersey to Colorado to West Virginia to Texas, you name it. 
these are very different cultures. But every time I talk to the teachers and the parents, they all agree that they want their communities and their schools protected. And they might do it differently. Some schools like Texas or Colorado may do armed teachers and some might have extra law enforcement or extra security. But there's no reason in today's day and age that we don't have either armed security, armed teachers or some force on force training that is in every single school every single day. And, and this is this is the politics of it is a lot of states don't have the funding to put a security guard or an officer in every school. Yeah. So they're rolling the right. dice, but at the same time, they won't allow teachers to be armed. So in essence, they're rolling the dice with people's children's lives and hoping that it doesn't happen there. And that's why I tell parents, this is the reality of it. They don't have the money for it. And that's why armed teachers are absolutely 100% necessary. And we should, as a community, as 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 a society, be paying for that training and and so that they can get the highest quality medical and firearm training so that if anything ever does happen, they're ready. You're listening to the Edify Podcast Network. We'll be right back. This podcast is part of the Edify Podcast Network. Edify is a faith-inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. Cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I dot app. This is the Edify Podcast Network. Welcome back. Let's say you have a, you know, a 3A school, like not a huge school. They're going to invest in, you know, one maybe two armed security officers. Mm-hmm. Well, if you have two or three kids yeah. that take on one guy at a time, yeah. they will overpower him. If they have guns, they'll shoot him. Yeah. They'll kill him. So your one or two armed guys are down. And yeah. then they're in. And 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 then again, it's fish in a barrel. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, you, you have to have more of us than them. Yeah, right? exactly. I mean, you've got to have more armed good guys than bad guys. Yeah. And if you only have one or two armed security guards, that's not enough. Yeah. It's just, it's not enough. And, and these are our kids. This is about protecting our kids. Mm-hmm. And I, I think people, you know, I, I, and, and I'll tell you like my, you know, my, my mom is, is one who is, you know, she's sort of, you know, timid around guns, but she went out and got her CHL and, you know, she was like, I don't, I don't want to be that person because I want to know that if in a situation, I know how to handle a gun. And if you have your CHL, you have to not only pass a a classroom test, but you have to pass a range test. You know, these are not just people who are like willy nilly with a gun. You know, yeah. who are like, oh, I don't I don't know what to do with this gun. I mean, you have to know what to do with a gun. If yeah. if you are someone who is, you know, a, a teacher who is in a classroom with a gun, this is not some, you know, 85 year old Billy Bob who's never handled a gun before. I mean, these are people who are trained. They know how to handle a gun. They're not going to be like, oh, my gosh, I'm so scared. I don't I don't know. Where's the trigger? You know, that's not gonna, that's not going to be them, you know. And it's worth it for yeah. our kids. And the thing that's that is is just astounding to me, Evan, uh, truly astounding to me, is with all the government overreach in our schools right now. Yeah, I mean they're they're literally the government is literally teaching pornography to our children. Okay, so much government overreach into our schools. Yet they won't allow our teachers to be armed to protect our children. They say that's too much overreach. And I'm like, wait a minute. What? Like, what? I mean, it's so idiotic and so hypocritical that they say this is government overreach. No, this isn't government overreach. This is simple protection for our kids who are in the schools every day. Yeah. No, it's baffling. You know, and it makes it makes you wonder 
if there is any hidden agenda or motive because they're like why why else would they stand in the way for communities to decide how to protect their schools and children you know that's what's happening right now is the federal government is saying no you cannot carry a gun on school grounds when in essence what that says is no we know better than how to protect your children than you do as a parent that's what the federal government is telling every single community in america and that's why I believe that needs to be taken off from a national level and states need to decide and communities need to decide how best to protect their children and their communities and their schools. And they will do it. They will do it differently from state to state. I know because that's what America is. But the fact is the federal government is standing in the way to keep our schools safe. And that's that's a huge issue that every parent needs to, to recognize and fight against no matter what side of the aisle they're on. And, and no matter what side of the the issue for guns they're on that law is standing in the way to allow the communities to decide and it's frustrating it is now you have two children you have two cute little kids uh one and a half three and a half but you know they're getting to the age where uh your three and a half year old's getting to the age where you know you're gonna have to soon make a decision about schools yeah you know, what are you, you know, what are, what are you and your family thinking about for schools? I mean, you've, you've sort of, um, <laughs> you have experienced the worst of public school. No one has experienced anything worse with public schools than you have. You know, what are, what are you thinking? I mean, what are you and your family thinking about public schools, private schools, homeschool? I mean, where, where are you guys leaning right now? Well, it's interesting because a lot of people have asked me this question and I think it's surprising that I'm actually more concerned about my child's education over the safety issue. And I mean it in this regard, you know, as much as I do talk about school shootings and school safety, they're very rare. And it is, you know, it's not, it's not something to, you know, be completely anxious over. It's something that we need to address and, and do the proper things, I believe. But I'm actually more concerned of the, the destruction to my child's emotional well-being, his mental well-being, and spiritual well-being by sending him into a lot of, you know, government schools. And and so that's a huge factor. Yeah, number one, I want to pick a school that's safe. That's one of our top priorities and criteria. My wife is also a Columbine survivor, and that's one of our top prior criteria. But it's also we want to be able to partner with a school that recognizes that we are the parent, that we are to you know, making the decisions that are best for our child. And we want a school that will partner with us that will help us raise our child in the way that we believe, not in the way that the school decides. And I think that's too often the issue where schools are trying to push, you know, all kinds of different ideologies and political agendas through school, and they don't care. And you've seen it even just this year. They don't care what parents say. Parents are going to school boards, they're writing letters, they're emailing they're doing all these things saying no we don't want this and the school boards and schools and teachers unions are shutting them down and saying so what we want to teach them this these are our children and that's an attitude i mean it's 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 ingrained it's been generations in building that and and some people let it go they think that the school has the right to co-parent and they don't and so that is a huge criteria you know we've picked a place for my son to go that is that meets all those criteria where he will be safe, where he will be um, fed both the best curriculum, but also spiritually. There's, you know, there's there's things that we won't compromise on because we have a responsibility as parents to raise our child, you know, in a way that we see fit. And and the schools, I think, are failing in in so many ways that I don't know how I would. I mean. My child will never go to a government school. I'll tell you that. If it comes to homeschool, <laughs> that might be a, an option. And there's a lot of people who are doing it, and rightfully so. Yeah, I think there's a. I think there was like a record number of people last year that pulled their kids out of out of public school because of what was happening with COVID and um, just uh, just the masking. You know, not allowing parents to make their own decisions with you know, whether or not they wanted their kids to wear a mask at school or not wear a mask. And, and I just, I, I read something just the other day 
on the blaze, I, I read the headline and then I, you know, I had to go and <laughs> read the actual article, but I, I took a screenshot of the headline It said Los Angeles Unified School District will require mandatory weekly COVID-19 testing for all students and employees despite vaccination status. And I thought, oh my gosh, I, I, there's no way if this is the, you know, LA school district is the second largest school district in the United States. And they are going to require students to get weekly COVID testing. And I thought over my dead body, I'm not, I'm not going, I would not allow that to take place. I would not allow the government to, to do that to my child. Absolutely. And, but, but this is what's happening. And yeah. they're they're not really concerned about the well being of our children. I mean, give me a break. They haven't been concerned about the well being of of people throughout this whole thing. I mean, this has been about government control, government overreach. I mean, in my opinion, that's what yeah. this whole thing has been about. But I'm like, uh, no way. The the I'm going to allow someone to to test my child, you know, every week uh, in the school system. But you know, and then who's paying for it? Who's yeah. paying for all that testing, yeah. right? Uh, you know, we are. The taxpayers yeah. are. And I'm just so, I, you know, I'm just so sick of it, over it. And I'm, I'm so sad for, you know, parents who uh, are, are duped by, you know, the, the idea that they have to keep their kids in these schools, right. that they don't have any other option. And I've been telling parents for a long time, look, you know, private schools are an option. Get your kids out of these out of these government schools, homeschool if you can. And it's time for families to start making sacrifices if they can. You know, we are a, a, a one income family. My husband stays home so that I can work. You know, we sacrifice things so that we can be a one income family. And that's what families are going to have to start doing. You know, I grew up in a one income family. My mom stayed home. My dad worked. We didn't have all of the, you know, new cars. We didn't have all of the things that, you know, some other families did. But I'm so thankful that I had my mom home with me. I'm so thankful that I was able to go to a private school. You know, I'm so thankful that I my mom picked me up from school and took me home every day. I didn't have to ride a bus. I didn't have the government, you know, schooling me and, and sticking, you know, socialist ideals in my head as I was growing up. And, you know, but my parents had to sacrifice in order to do that. And and we have got to get back to a society where parents are willing to sacrifice for their children. Yeah. And because we are living and 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 you said this when we were talking before the show, a, a, a real morally bankrupt society. And our children are going to be morally bankrupt if and, and they're already heading that way unless the parents don't get their act together and and start making some sacrifices for their kids. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you know, that's it's a sacrifice for my wife and I as well. Um, this the extra added cost to send our child to a school that meets our criteria, which is actually it meets in the standards are higher um, but it, it, it's still less expensive, um, dollar for dollar than a government school. Um, yeah. but that government money stays at the school. And that's one of the tragedies is, you know, you put your, your money where your heart is and you look at the way government schools are funded now from coast to coast. It's all about the teachers. It's all about you know, the unions, it's, that's there, that's where the money goes and they captivate it and they don't want to let it go. They hold on to those dollars like their lives depend on it. And they quite frankly do, but as a society, we should stop funding teachers unions and start funding students. I think you'll see academic scores go up. You'll see when you see the money go into the parents' hands to control where that money is spent educationally, you'll see higher, we'd be number one in the world in every category within a decade, and I guarantee it. Because teachers, the good teachers would be promoted, they would be given raises. This is the best thing that could happen for good teachers. The only teachers that stand in the way of school vouchers are failing teachers who cannot compete in a competitive world. And that's really what it boils down to. But 
uh, you know, it, it shouldn't be that way where parents are forced to pay taxes into a school system and they're not given the option to spend it how they wish. You know, and that's it, it's something that should be dealt with on a state by state issue. Um, but we really need to fund our students and stop funding failing schools. And I mean, and that's really what it boils down to. The economic output would be even greater. You know, parents that right now we, we are paying for an extra education for our child. That'd be more money in the economy. I mean, every way I look at it, school vouchers and school choice is a net positive to the family. It's a net positive to the uh, education system. It's, it's a net positive for good teachers. It's a net positive for economically. And it makes you wonder why the teachers unions are standing in the way. And it's, it's because they want to hold on to your dollars and they want to hold on to your children's hearts and minds. And they want to hold on and, and, and indoctrinate with whatever political ideology they want to push, whether it's CRT or whatever new named philosophy that they want to skip by to push their agenda. And that's what it boils down to. And, te- you know, I think parents should work just as hard to make their school safe as to get school choice. And it'll change the culture. You'll have, uh, and I think the violence, the, the, I mean, there's so many issues from teen suicide to drug abuse to um, bullying has gone up, is, is a bigger problem today than it was when I was in school. What does that tell you? We just had a whole generation of um, bully, anti-bullying campaigns and all kinds of different, you know, the schools are failing and it's, and it's hard to say because a lot of parents love the teachers that they see. And there are a lot of great teachers out there. I've met them, but they're, they're being held hostage by these teachers unions. They're being held hostage with the failed policy of, of how schools and education is funded in America. And that needs to change. Well, and good teachers are leaving. Yeah. I mean, my husband, my husband was a public school teacher. Yeah. He'll never go back. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, you know, because he's not supported by the administration. Yeah. Uh, good teachers are not supported by the administration. Their hands are tied. They can't actually teach kids like they want to. You can't, you can't discipline children at all anymore. They've, they've even taken away, most schools have taken away detention. There's no such thing as alternative schools anymore. And my husband and I talk about this all the time. You know, there are kids who just don't want to be in school. There are, you know, older kids, um, you know, like the two that, 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 you know, were the shooters at Columbine. The, you know, there are kids that do not want to be in school. There are kids and, and those kids are a danger to the other kids in school who do want to be in school. And school systems will do anything they can to keep those types of kids in school because it pads their bottom line because they get money for every kid that's in school. And especially if they can stick a a special ed diagnosis on them or an adaptive behavior diagnosis on them, you know, or emotionally disturbed or whatever, they get more money for those kids. And, and those are the kids, many of those kids, they don't want to be in school. They want to drop out of school. And you know what? The school needs to let them. The school needs to let those kids go. They need to let them get out of school because you've got kids that are running drugs. You've got kids that are, you know, stabbing in their neighbors that are, you know, doing terrible things that are, you know, doing terrible things out on the streets that are running drugs up and down neighborhoods that are sitting next to the homecoming queen in math class. And they are dangerous. Some of them are violent criminals and they don't need to be in our schools. And they are a, a danger to, and, and because we've gotten rid of alternative programs in public schools, they are a danger to, to all of our kids. And, but our public school systems are fighting so hard to keep these kids in school that don't want to be there. And, and it, it's ridiculous. And, and then they're just passing them, passing them, passing them. We've got kids that don't even know how to read that are graduating high school. I mean, our public school system is, is a disaster. It's a mess. And, and, you know, parents need to start really paying attention. They need to start fighting back. Um, I don't even know if our, our public school system at this point can even be fixed. I mean, it's, it's so incredibly broken. Um, I, I, I don't even know. Um, but I, I do know that if it ever is going to be fixed, 
it's it's going to be because parents actually got in the mix because parents actually took over because parents have sat back for far too long and they've allowed the government to intervene and take over and they've allowed bad people to get on the school board who just sat back and allowed this government overreach for far too long. And so I tell parents all the time, if you want to fix your broken school, school, then you've got to get on the school board and start making changes. Now, I know that that uh, I, I can't even imagine what it was like to to heal from. I didn't know your wife was also a survivor um, of Columbine. I can't imagine what it was like to to go through that and then sort of come out of it and 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 uh, heal from that. Um, but I, I know that um, you're a person of faith. And, and I mean, just sort of in closing, like how, you know, how much did your faith sort of play a role in, in getting you through that. And, and just as you've grown as an adult, I mean, how, you know, what, what has that been like? Yeah. My faith, um, was the number one thing that got me through the difficult times of dealing with what happened, you know? And uh, I mean, I, I had a, an amazingly supportive family community. I mean, the world, the outpouring of love and prayers from around the world were uh, invigorating. They were um, uplifting. It was, it, you know, when people you hear after tragedies, people are saying, you know, they're sending their thoughts and prayers. Well, I can tell you as someone who has been on the receiving end of those, they matter. They really, they matter. They help. Um, I could feel um, the support from around the world. And so, you know, I never discount that whether you're on the receiving or giving into that it's it's something powerful it's something that is unexplainable um and the power of prayer is just is huge um but my faith learning to live with you know the seeing death and destruction and 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 also just you know i was 15 years old i was still trying to figure out the world and so um seeing having more perspective and guidance through my faith helped me in, in many ways, I could have gone um, in the wrong direction. And so my faith has, has helped me and corrected me and, and built me up to who I am today. And I'm just, I'm so great, grateful and thankful that I have that in my life. It's, it's, it's a joy and a, a peace that um, it, it's unquestionable that without it, I don't know if I would even be here today. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I I just I, I I mean you're such an inspiring person, and um, just even the work that you do today, I, I'm just so thankful and thank you for your courage and and thank you for everything that you do and and for sharing your story and um, you know, for the activism that you do today, making a difference and um you know, all the work that you do to, to protect kids and protect our kids and, and to make our school, our schools a, a safer place. So thank you so much for joining us today. And, and thank you. I want, I, I'll fanboy a little bit. You're, you're a, a huge inspiration to me, your story, your courage, um, the, the advocacy, the things that you've done are, uh, are incredible. So thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. I know you guys just, uh, thoroughly enjoyed that interview with Evan. I just think he's so inspiring and I don't know. I, I just, I think he's amazing. And I, I know that you enjoyed the interview. I really enjoyed interviewing him and, and he just, he, he's so eloquent and, and has been, uh, really, I mean, I, I watched a bunch of his interviews and, um, and, he's really good under fire. You know, he goes on these, on these progressive talk shows and does these like interviews with these liberal commentators. And he's so good. Like he's just really chill under fire and uh, he's so great. And his faith is just really inspiring. I mean, just 15 year old kid going through something so traumatic and, He's right. It could have really just shot him over the deep end and into a, a really wayward path. But um, God is so good. And he didn't. So I realized somebody told me, Abby, where are the jokes? 
Where are the jokes? And I, I realized I've been failing you guys because I, I, I haven't been, I, I haven't been giving you the jokes. So I forgot to, I, I forgot to bring the joke when Evan was on. So I, I'm going to just give you the joke while I'm alone, which is a little lame, but still I want to leave you with, with two jokes funny bad jokes. Okay, you ready? Here we go. Why do bees have sticky hair? Why do bees have sticky hair? Because they use honeycombs. <laughs> but um honeycombs. Isn't that cute? That's cute. Okay, all right. All right, here we go. Now, this is a this is my favorite one. Out of the two, this is my favorite one. Okay, here we go. <laughs> this was so cute. Why couldn't the pony <laughs> sing a lullaby? <laughs> Why couldn't the pony <laughs> sing a lullaby? Because she was a little horse. <laughs> Okay, that's funny. That's a good one. I'm going to tell my kids that one tonight at dinner. Okay. She's a little horse. All right. Well, there you go. I will remember to bring back the jokes. So I think we've come up with some names. We're going to try, we're going to try some names for my commentary show. So I'm going to try, I'm going to try them out. But I think we have some names for the commentary show. So that is the next episode. The next episode of Politely Rue will be a commentary show. I look forward to joining you again. Be sure to tune in. And until then, be blessed. Remember to thank Jesus every day for your life. Remember to share about him as much as you can. And until next time, stay safe. And we will talk soon. Thanks for listening to Politely Rude with Abby Johnson on the Edify Podcast Network. Tune in next time for another powerful exploration of life, politics, parenting, and tips for navigating the daily chaos. And for more faith-inspiring podcasts, download the Edify Podcast app on the Apple and Google Play stores or at edify.app.